Good evening. We are beginning a new study of the book of First Kings. Actually, I hope to go through First and Second Kings. We just finished uh, the Gospel of Mark, which of course is a New Testament book. So now we're switching to an Old Testament book in First and Second Kings. Uh, they're divided into two books in our Bible, but in the Hebrew Bible, in the original, uh, they were just one book. It was a pretty long book, so that's part of why we have it uh, divided into two now. Uh, but uh, the Bible is clear that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And uh, so that includes all the books, both Old and New Testament. Um, that includes historical books as well as uh, prophetic books and on and on. And so there's a lot that God has to teach us and show us in these books of First and Second Kings. And I'm excited to dig into them. Um, and I hope you are as well. Now, First and Second Kings picks up the story of the kingdom of Israel at the end of David's reign. So the books of First and Second Samuel describe the beginning of the kingdom of Israel when God uh, anointed the first king, Samuel, or excuse me, not Samuel. <laughs> God used the prophet Samuel to anoint the first king, Saul, um, after Israel requested a king like all the other nations. And of course, uh, that's what Saul was, and he was a failure uh, as God's king. He rebelled against God. He didn't listen to God. And so God chose David to be Saul's successor. Uh, but Saul persecuted David. Saul tried to put David to death. And uh, at the end of 1 Samuel, Saul has died. And at the beginning of 2 Samuel, David becomes king. And uh, 2 Samuel follows David's reign more or less to the end of his days. And then 1 Kings picks up the story uh, at the end of David's life and the beginning of the reign of Solomon, David's son. And uh, so there are two things from David's life that form the um, sort of the backbone of the story that we're about to look at tonight in 1 Kings chapter 1. Uh, we know David as uh, the boy who slew Goliath. Uh, we know David as uh, the man after God's own heart, uh, God's chosen king. His reign was sort of a golden age along with his son, son Solomon. Their reigns were sort of a golden age in Israel's history. And yet we also know that David was a flawed man. Uh, we know in particular about his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah. Uh, and he had other um, public and significant uh, sins as well. But he was uh, a man who repented when he was wrong. And uh, he was a humble and godly man, though he was a flawed and sinful man. Um, so there are two things uh, from David's life that are important to know about uh, as we pick up this story. Both of them are things that were spoken to David by the prophet Nathan. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, uh, the prophet Nathan delivered to David one of the most important promises in all of the Old Testament. It's something we call the Davidic covenant, God's covenant with David. And what God promised David was that he would put one of David's own sons on his throne and that God would establish his kingdom forever. 
And when God uh, spoke these words to David through Nathan, uh, David recognized that those words were significant, as he said, for all mankind. They were instruction for all mankind. God was going to work through David's house to bring about the kingdom of God, the blessing of God upon all the earth. Um, and so all the promises of the Old Testament, Old Testament about a coming uh, Messiah, Savior, Deliverer, um, etc., to bring blessing and, and, and righteousness and all that, um, all of that is going to come through the line of David. And so uh, David's house, David's kingdom, who succeeds David as king, all of these things are not just normal, political, national issues. They are kingdom of God issues. Um, So that's the first thing. The second thing that Nathan said to David that lies behind our story and helps shape our story is when David sinned with Bathsheba, and committed adultery with her, and then had her husband Uriah put to death in battle. Um, When Nathan confronted David about that sin in 2 Samuel 12, he said something uh, that really overshadows, uh, or not overshadows, but casts its shadow across the rest of the story of David's life. He said, This is 2 Samuel 12 uh, from verses 9 and 10. He says, You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. So, in other words, David's house, his family, is going to be pierced by a sword. There's going to be conflict and death uh, in David's house from then on. Um, And so if we know those two things, that God has promised to establish David's house, establish David's throne um, as as an eternal throne, an eternal kingdom, and that God has said to David that his house will be haunted by the sword because of David's sin, both of those things will help us understand the significance of the story we find in 1 Kings chapter 1. This is where uh, David is growing old, and the question of who will succeed him has become a front-burner issue, and there's some confusion and conflict uh, regarding the throne and the crown, and uh, it's worthy of a Shakespeare play. This is the kind of thing that Shakespeare could have turned into an entire, uh, entire drama. Um, and uh, it's, but it's it's more than what we would find in Shakespeare. In part because, again, this is it's not just uh, the kingdom of a particular nation that's at stake here, but uh, these things are caught up in the story of God's uh, promise to bring a king into the world who would uh, bring in blessing and peace and so forth. So let's dig into the story. Uh, 1 Kings chapter 1, I'll just sort of read a paragraph or so and then talk about what it says and what it means and its significance and, the, and then we'll, we'll move on to the next paragraph and so on. So it begins this way. Um, 1 Kings chapter 1, reading from the ESV. It says, Now King David was old and advanced in years. And although they covered him with clothes, he could not get warm. 
Therefore his servants said to him, Let a young woman be sought for my lord the king, and let her wait on the king and be in his service. Let her lie in your arms, that my lord the king may be warm. So they sought for a beautiful young woman throughout all the territory of Israel, and found Abishag the Shunammite, and brought her to the king. The young woman was very beautiful, and she was of service to the king and attended to him, but the king knew her not. So this story begins um, not as we would have expected. David, the uh, you know the shepherd boy who slew um, you know the lion and the bear and who slew Goliath, is now an old man. Uh, he can't get warm. He's weak and frail, and uh, so uh, they don't know what to do for him other than to provide somebody to lie with him, to uh, warm him up, and so they find a beautiful young woman, um, and they tell us uh, he knew her not, meaning she didn't become his mistress or anything like that, um, even though she was lying in his arms. And uh, so this is the this is the state we find David in at the beginning of First Kings. He is uh, an old and weak man, uh, but he still holds the throne, but not for long. Um, Next, verse 5 says, Now Adonijah, the son of Haggith, exalted himself, saying, I will be king. And he prepared for himself chariots and horsemen and fifty men to run before him. His father had never at any time displeased him by asking, Why have you done thus and so? He was also a very handsome man, and he was born next after Absalom. He conferred with Joab, the son of Zeruiah, and with Abiathar, the priest, And they followed Adonijah and helped him. But Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, and Shimei, and Ray, and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. So Adonijah takes it upon himself to claim the crown. Uh, The scripture says there that he exalted himself in verse 5. David did not tell him. Uh, that it was time for him to be king. God did not speak to him and say that he had chosen him to be the next king. Adonijah just took it upon himself. He exalted himself and said, I'm going to be king. He probably looked at his father who was old and weak and knew it was time for a, a new king to take the throne. Perhaps he thought if he took it upon himself, his dad would be pleased. Perhaps he thought if he took it upon himself, Uh, His dad wouldn't be able to do anything about it. Uh, Probably the latter. Uh, But he declares himself uh, to himself that he's going to be the king. Um, He gets chariots and horsemen and an entourage. Um, He, uh, we're, (laughs) it's explained to us that his father had never corrected him really his father had never displeased him by asking why have you done thus and so is in other words his father never rebuked him which is not um a good parenting approach to never question your children's actions and never call them to account uh david was not uh not just from this episode but from at least one other as well we can tell david was not uh the he was not a perfect father um we're also told he was a handsome man uh, right, and so Adonijah was maybe the kind of person you would expect to be king. Someone who um, 
would take it upon himself to become king, somebody who people would look on and admire for his good looks, um, etc. Somebody who uh, is used to having his way, uh, but this is not the kind of king that God looks for or that God's people should look for. Um, so why did Adonijah try to take the kingdom for himself? Well, David, of course, had more than one wife, um, and he had many children, and his firstborn was a man named Amnon, and uh, Amnon, of course, would have been the expected choice to be the king as the firstborn. Now, God often chooses other than the firstborn, as we see, especially in the book of Genesis, but from just a natural perspective, you would expect the firstborn son to be the likely heir to the throne. But Absalom, excuse me, Amnon was killed by Absalom. Amnon uh, developed a um, lustful desire for his half-sister Tamar and uh, sinned grievously with her. And so Absalom, her brother, killed Amnon, the firstborn. Absalom was the third-born son. The second uh, was a man named Chiliab, and basically he's named, and we don't hear anything else about him. So we don't know what happened to him. Um, he's apparently not in the picture. Uh, Absalom, who's the third-born son, of course, he famously tried to steal the throne from his father while his father was still alive and healthy and active. Um, and, uh, of course, he... Uh, died as a, as a result of that. He was slain by one of uh, David's men. He uh, committed treason, tried to take the throne, and he was put to death. So the next son in line is Adonijah. So you can see why, in one sense, Adonijah would have thought, clearly, I'm the next in line. I am the most logical choice for who should take the throne. Um and so he takes it upon himself, rather than asking his dad, rather than seeking the Lord, uh, he takes it upon himself to become king. And many of those who surrounded David were on Adonijah's side. Uh, verse 7 mentions Joab, who was the commander of the army, uh, Abiathar, the priest, um, and uh, those followed Adonijah and helped him, verse 7 says. So he had some of David's uh, choice leaders on his side, but not all of them. Verse 8 says, Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and Nathan the prophet, that's a significant one, uh, and Shimei and Ray and David's mighty men were not with Adonijah. So uh, not everybody was on Adonijah's side. In fact, Adonijah was missing some significant leaders, namely Nathan the prophet. Uh, Benaiah, I think, was also one of David's mighty men, and then uh, his mighty men in general are mentioned there at the end of the verse. So there was a division uh, between the people that surrounded David. Some of them were supporting Adonijah and some of them were not. Adonijah uh, in verse 9 says, Adonijah sacrificed sheep, oxen, and fattened cattle uh, by the serpent stone, which is beside Enrogel, and he invited all his brothers, the king's sons, and all the royal officials of Judah, but he did not invite Nathan the prophet, or Benaiah, or the mighty men, or Solomon his brother. Now, as one uh, scholar pointed out, uh, the fact that he did not invite Solomon hints that maybe he knew 
that Solomon was David's choice to succeed him as king, but he was uh, seeking to make himself king, ignoring his father's wish, and uh, trying to supplant Solomon as the designated heir to David. That's a pretty good guess. That's, that seems like it's, we don't know for sure, but that seems pretty clear. Uh, so Adonijah is not a great guy, right? He is exalting himself. He uh, has never been corrected by his father. He appears to be seeking to supplant the designated uh, king who is supposed to follow his father. And he's surrounded himself with people uh, to help establish himself as king. Now, what's, what's going to happen next? Uh, verse 11 says, Then Nathan said to Bathsheba, the mother of Solomon, Have you not heard that Adonijah, the son of Haggith, has become king, and David our Lord does not know it? Now therefore come, let me give you advice, that you may save your own life and the life of your son Solomon. Go in at once to King David and say to him, Did you not, my lord the king, swear to your servant, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? Why then is Adonijah king? Then while you are still speaking with the king, I also will come in after you and confirm your words. So Bathsheba went to the king in his chamber. Now the king was very old, and Abishag the Shunammite was attending to the king. Bathsheba bowed and paid homage to the king, and the king said, What do you desire? She said to him, My lord, you swore to your servant by the Lord your God, saying, Solomon your son shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne. And now behold, Adonijah is king, although my lord the king, although you, my lord the king, do not know it. He has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the sons of the king, Abiathar the priest, and Joab the commander of the army. But Solomon your servant he has not invited. And now, my lord the king, the eyes of all Israel are on you, to tell them who shall sit on the throne of my lord the king after him. Otherwise it will come to pass, when my lord the king sleeps with his fathers, that I and my son Solomon will be counted offenders. So Nathan brings up this problem to Bathsheba, one of David's wives, the mother of Solomon. Bathsheba follows Nathan's counsel. She goes to talk to David the king and says, you, didn't you promise that Solomon was going to be the king? But Adonijah has made himself king, uh, even though you don't know anything about it. And if you don't do something about it, when you die, Solomon and I are going to be in trouble because Adonijah is going to try to get rid of us. Um, and so she relays this story to David, and then Nathan comes in, verse 22. While she was still speaking with the king, Nathan the prophet came in. And they told the king, here is Nathan the prophet. And when he came in before the king, he bowed before the king with his face to the ground. And Nathan said, my lord the king, have you said Adonijah shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne? For he has gone down this day and has sacrificed oxen, fattened cattle, and sheep in abundance, and has invited all the king's sons, the commanders of the army, and Abiathar the priest. And behold, they are eating and drinking before him and saying, Long live King Adonijah! But me, your servant, and Zadok the priest, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and your servant Solomon, he has not invited. Has this thing been brought about by my lord the king?' 
and you have not told your servants who should sit on the throne of my lord the king after him? So Nathan comes and relays the same story and says, look, you didn't tell us about this, or you didn't tell me about this. It, 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 was it your decision that Adonijah become the king? Because me and some other important people have been left out. Um, you know, what's going on here? Um, what has happened is that uh, David has failed to use his uh, leadership appropriately, and that has brought chaos and confusion. Um, all of this comes from a lapse in leadership. Uh, David, having become old and um, you know reaching the end of his life, should have made clear to all of his leaders, and maybe to the public as well, who the next king was going to be. But he evidently had not done that. And so as David became... Uh, evidently unable to rule, uh, there was a vacuum, a leadership vacuum was created, and Adonijah stepped into that vacuum to claim the crown, which put Bathsheba and uh, Solomon in jeopardy, and risked the crown passing to a son other than the one that David had determined. Um, And there's a lesson here. Uh, for all of us who are in any kind of leadership position, whether you're the leader of your family or the leader of your extended family or the leader of a school or a business or an organization or a church or uh, a city or a national government or whatever, if you're in leadership in any kind of position, if you hang on to the title and position of leader when you no longer have the capacity to lead for whatever reason. It's not always age that makes it where we can no longer lead effectively. If you continue to hold on to the position of leader when you are no longer capable of leading, and then you create uh, or open up, open up the opportunity for confusion and chaos to take hold. You need, if you have the opportunity, you need to make clear to people who is next in line and you need to pass the baton on before it is too late. You want your legacy to be uh, one of an orderly, faithful transition and not a, uh, a leadership vacuum that creates chaos and confusion and that uh, causes much of what you have built with your leadership to be destroyed as people bicker and fight over who the next leader is going to be. So David is not a great uh, model up to this point of how to handle the the twilight years of uh, your leadership. But because Nathan and Bathsheba bring this problem to his attention, he does come around and, and fix it. He addresses it. So verse 28 says, Then King David answered, Call Bathsheba to me. So she came into the king's presence and stood before the king. And the king swore, saying, As the Lord lives, who has redeemed my soul out of every adversity, 
As I swore to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, saying, Solomon your, sh- your son shall, s- shall reign after me, and he shall sit on my throne in my place, even so will I do this day. Then Bathsheba bowed with her face to the ground and paid homage to the king and said, May my lord King David live forever. King David said, Call to me Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada. So they came before the king, and the king said to them, Take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule and bring him down to Gihon. And let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet there anoint him king over Israel. Then blow the trumpet and say, Long live King Solomon. You shall then come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne, for he shall be king in my place. And I have appointed him to be the ruler over Israel and over Judah. And Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king, Amen. May the Lord, the God of my lord the king, say so. As the Lord has been with my lord the king, even so may he be with Solomon, and make his throne greater than the throne of my lord king David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on king David's mule, and brought him to Gihon. There Zadok the priest took the horn of oil from the tent and anointed Solomon. Then they blew the trumpet, and all the people said, Long live King Solomon! And all the people went up after him, playing on pipes, and rejoicing with great joy, so that the earth was split by their noise. So David, hearing of the problem, the chaos, confusion that has arisen as a result of his lack of leadership, addresses the problem, uh, issues instructions, gives commands, and Solomon is taken and anointed as king and proclaimed as king as the rightful heir to David's throne, the one that David had designated, the one who is to succeed David as king. So another lesson there is uh, when you realize you have made a mistake, it's not too late to fix it. Right? If you have the opportunity, if there's any possibility of remedying uh, what you have failed to address or failed to do, um, don't wallow in the fact that you, have, that you should have done something sooner. Do something now. Fix it now if you can. That's what David does. Right? He recognizes, um, we can assume that he probably, or sort of reading between the lines, we can assume that he probably saw at this point he should have done something sooner, uh, but rather than, you know, beat himself up over that, he, he fixes it now. All right, so what happens then to Adonijah? Uh, verse 41 says, Adonijah and all the guests who were with him heard it as they finished feasting. And when Joab heard the sound of the trumpet, he said, What does this uproar in the city mean? While he was still speaking, behold, Jonathan, the son of Abiathar, the priest, came And Adonijah said, Come in, for you are a worthy man, and bring good news. Jonathan answered Adonijah, No, for our lord King David has made Solomon king. And the king has sent with him Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, and Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, and the Cherethites and the Pelethites. And they had him ride on the king's mule. And Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet have anointed him king at Gihon, And they have gone up from their rejoicing, so that the city is in an uproar. This is the noise that you have heard. Solomon sits on the royal throne. Moreover, the king's servants came to congratulate our lord King David, saying, 
May your God make the name of Solomon more famous than yours, and make his throne greater than your throne. And the king bowed himself on the bed. And the king also said, Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, who has granted someone to sit on my throne this day, my own eyes seeing it. This is really, really bad news for Adonijah. David has established that Solomon is the rightful heir to the throne. Some of uh, David's leaders have seen to uh, the anointing of Solomon as king. And that means Adonijah is in big, big trouble. And so is everybody at his feast. So verse 49 says, Then all the guests of Adonijah trembled and rose, and each went his own way. And Adonijah feared Solomon. So he arose and went and took hold of the horns of the altar. Then it was told Solomon, Behold, Adonijah fears King Solomon. For behold, he has laid hold of the horns of the altar, saying, Let King Solomon swear to me first that he will not put his servant to death with the sword. And Solomon said, If he will show himself a worthy man, not one of his hairs shall fall to the earth. But if wickedness is found in him, he shall die. So King Solomon sent, and they brought him down from the altar. And he came and paid homage to King Solomon. And Solomon said to him, Go to your house. So Adonijah rightly feared for his life, and essentially was pleading for mercy, or at least some promised protection from Solomon. And Solomon says, Well, if you show yourself worthy, everything's going to be fine. But if wickedness is found in you, you're going to die. For now, Solomon is going to let Adonijah live, but um, he's not going to live for long. Uh, We'll find out more about Adonijah's fate uh, later in the book, not much later in the book. Um, Adonijah um, has tried to force the king's hand, right, or uh, really ignored the king entirely. Um, He has not taken into account that the kingdom belongs to God. Uh, The promise God made to David made clear that David's throne was part of God's plan to bless the whole world, and he sought to just take that upon himself. Um, It was uh, a foolish, rash action that Adonijah took. Um, And so we're not meant to feel much sympathy for him. Um, But here's the last thing I want to say about um, this passage. Um, I said at the beginning that the reigns of David and Solomon were sort of the golden age of Israel's kingdom. Um, And yet here in the middle of that, we have this mess, this chaos and confusion. Um, What are we to make of that? We also said that David's house has been established uh, by God's promise. And this is a part of, I mean, this is God establishing his kingdom on the earth through David's house. And so if this is God's kingdom, why is there so much disarray and disorder in it? Well, uh, just because men are bungling everything does not mean that God is not at work. In this moment, this chapter does not look like anything we would be inclined to call the kingdom of God on earth. But it is the kingdom of God on earth. Uh, Just like Abraham was the man that God chose to bless all the world through him, and yet he was a liar, um, and he was afraid. Um, He lied about his wife. He feared for his own life, and so pretended that she was his sister. Um, But God was still working through him. 
in a similar way. Um, David failed in many ways as a father and as a leader. Um, he was a great king, but he was not without his flaws. And um, Adonijah, one of the king's sons, uh, was the, at least the second of David's sons to try to take over the throne from their father, the other one being Absalom, of course. It's a mess. Um, and yet, it's encouraging in a way to know that this kind of thing happened, uh, even as God promised to be at work in David's family and to establish and build David's house and from David's line to send the Messiah. Um, because when we look around today at the places where we think we know that God is at work and ought to be at work, oftentimes what we see are people messing things up, making mistakes, emphasizing the wrong things, making the wrong decisions, etc., etc., etc. And what can happen is you can look at that and think, God must not be at work then, or God must not be at work in uh, the church or among Christians or whatever. But that's not the case. That's not the conclusion to draw. The conclusion that we are uh, taught to draw uh, from stories like the story we're going to follow in First Kings is that even when people are sinning and rebelling and acting foolishly and ignorantly and doing things contrary to how God would have them to do them, that never ultimately thwarts God's plan or God's work. That God is still in charge. God is still faithful. God will keep his promises despite our failures and mistakes, despite the rebellion of those who try to go against God's will and God's ways. God will always see to it. That whatever he has promised to do, he will bring to pass. Where he says he is at work and will be at work, you can be sure he is at work there. Even if you can't see it right now. Even if uh, it's obscured by the foolish things that the people who ought to be following him are doing instead. Know that God cannot be thwarted. His will, his plan, his purpose cannot be thwarted, and he will bring his work to completion. Just as he fulfilled the promise to David that a son from his line would sit on his throne forever, and did so in a marvelous and spectacular way through the coming of Jesus the Messiah, who even now is seated on David's throne in heaven at God's right hand, so God will keep all of his promises despite all the mess that we see around us.